Hello everyone, Simon Jacobson here, and we will be speaking about spirituality and depression. Adding spirituality to traditional treatment. It's an intriguing juxtaposition, the word spirituality and depression. But as we shall see, it's actually quite insightful when you add and include that component and element. So I think we should begin from the beginning, and that is, um, what is depression? What is, lies at the core of human depression? Why do we get depressed? And what can we do about it? Obviously, this isn't the first time the topic has been addressed. It's a topic that goes back to the beginning of human history. And many, many different answers and, and theories and concepts have been posited in answering these questions. What depression is, why we get depressed, why some people get more depressed than others, even if they experience similar negative experiences. And the different interventions have been suggested from medical medicine to therapy to various alternative methods. What has less been what has been not what has been less explored is the connection and the spiritual roots of depression. Is, for example, depression a physical or a spiritual malady? Is it a challenge of the soul? Is it an affliction of the soul or is it an affliction of the body? Now, we know there are things that are clearly physical problems. But then there are psychic and mental and emotional issues. Where does depression fall into? And if we were to introduce spirituality into a person's life or a heightened state of spirituality and awareness, would that in some way lessen, can it in some way lessen the power of depression in our lives? These are many other questions we're going to be addressing. And the reason I mention spirituality because it's quite intriguing. Not to sound morbid in any way, but the fact of the matter is, a soulless body does not get depressed. In simple terms, someone that corpse does not get depressed. Depression is a part and parcel and, con and conditional that there's something alive that is getting depressed. Something that's completely dead or lifeless doesn't experience that. Even though it's true people who are depressed sometimes feel like they're lifeless, like a walking zombie and I feel like I'm empty and uh, literally almost like a walking dead, but it's still a feeling, and it's a horrible feeling. So clearly it's a connected to life itself. That means it's conditioned on the fact that there's some soul at work. However, it's in a depressed state. So where do we, where do we go? Let's now address spirituality and talk about the soul. So the conventional explanations generally about depression, and, and I will speak in broad strokes, whether it's clinical or whether it's more emotional depression. When I say clinical, meaning something, a chemical imbalance or a proven medical condition um, that requires, in most, many cases, some form of medication. And then there's depression, which does not, medication will not make a difference. It's just people being feeling down. That medication could perhaps make it milder, but it's not medication that's going to solve the issue. But whatever issue it is, 
whatever form of depression we're talking about, what exactly does it constitute? So here are words that people use in that state. Sluggishness, lack of motivation, emptiness. More extreme forms, it could even be self-destructive or suicidal. In more milder forms, it's not, it's not motivating. It's less, literally lack motivation. You feel down. You feel negative about things. Even when good news comes your way, you see the negative in that as well. Basically, a state of hopelessness and resignation. And the measure of how much, that's already dependent on the individual and the circumstance. Those are some of the, we call symptoms. But if you go a little deeper, what exactly is going on? So, of course, contrast, studies by contrast are all very valuable. By looking at something as you want to understand depression, let's look at what's the opposite of depression. It's not oppression, just for the record, obviously. What's the opposite of depression would be an up, an optimistic view, an upbeat view. And, and that is someone who feels confident, feels secure, feels hope, feels optimism. That things can happen and does not feel that sense weak and demoralized. So when you study these two states of being, and many of us are sometimes in this state, sometimes in that state, sometimes something in between. So what you discover is that, yes, the human condition can manifest in different ways. That can help us then dig a little deeper and try to identify not just the symptoms, but what lies at the root, at the core when we dissect this thing called the DNA of depression, what really lies at the core of it. So I always use the example simply because it's the easiest way, from, simply from a scientific point of view, the best specimen is the one untouched by human touch and by human conditioning. That's the newborn child. That barring certain unique circumstances, which are often unfortunately related to a, mother, a pregnant mother abusing herself, whether it's through drugs or alcohol, Healthy children are born not depressed. You don't find depressed children. Can there be a genetic disposition, predisposition? Obviously. But generally speaking, you see children naturally are bubbly, are uh, happy, and react that way to things. When you see the opposite, it's right away an alarming um, symptom and people and that right away gets our attention we have to think about why is it that way if you see very early on a child reacting in a sense like a negative way to things that is as I said that's always a uh, red flag that alone tells you that it's an anomaly because the natural state of the human being is an upbeat one we're not going to say overly joyous or overly uh, exuberant but generally speaking a positive one and that's why children smile and they're happy and they frolic and they relish and unless, of course, something is done that can hurt them. But generally speaking, on their own, they're very easygoing in that sense. Again, barring certain exceptions and also, of course, if a child is deprived of food, drink, God forbid, or sleep or is in pain or some disease or illness, of course the child is going to react. But that's not a depressed state. That's a reaction to negative experiences or negative feelings Child is reacting and letting us know there's a problem. So we're talking about in the most natural state without any other circumstances affecting. What does that tell us? That tells us that life by definition, the soul by definition, is, again, I, I'd want to use the word joyous, even though it, it's correct, but I want to use a more neutral word. So it is 
at peace. There's a certain state of harmony, a certain state of calm that allows for a positive outlook at things. As soon as a person is feeling fear or some type of um, uh, trepidation and caution, that alone causes us to shrivel up, causes us to retreat, feel that something's not going to work, and that is the beginnings of something that can lead to a depressed state. A depressed state means that you're not expressing yourself, you're not expanding, you're not extending, but drawing back. So if you think of it from that perspective, beyond the symptoms I talked about, the sluggishness and so on, it comes down to how expansive and how expressive is our inner soul. The more expressive and expansive, the more confident that it can express itself, that would be the opposite of depression, that would be the upbeat approach. I'm still looking for that word. I don't have the exact word that's the opposite of depression. Optimism, hope, confidence. When a soul is withdrawn, or a soul, like in a sense, goes back into its shell due to fear, due to um, disappointment, due to other things that are causing it not to allow, not to express itself, that would be called a state of depression. And that's actually true when you talk about, let's say, a tropical depression in weather, or you use the word depression in a, um, in even a physical sense. It's something withdrawing, something like pulling in. Think, think of it like an, like an inhale or drawing in. Inhale is a positive thing, but in a sense where it's closing up and drawing in. It's like what you see sometimes when they, before a storm, there's like the, the air gets sucked in. They say before a tsunami, the water draws, goes back, goes drawn back into the sea before come, the great wave comes forward. So it's a form of retraction or contraction even that on a more psychological sense is a withdrawal with the opposite of depression being an extension. So withdrawal and extension would be good words to describe the innermost core of what exactly is taking place. The question is, why would a soul withdraw? Why would a person withdraw? Why would a person appear? And the symptoms that each one brings, as I defined earlier, this withdrawal leads to a sense of sluggishness, lack of motivation, no drive, lack of passion, lack of excitement, lack of confidence. What is the opposite? The opposite when all when there's extension is when you feel confident. You feel like I'm going out there. I feel driven. I feel challenged. Uh, something is pushing you. Some passion is pushing you forward. So that would be a two ways of the two states of being that we all can go through. So, of course, the most obvious reasons for a depressed state would be when circumstances around you and the people that love you and the people that are supposed to love you, the people and events around you are causing you to feel that way. You feel threatened. So what do you think will happen when a person feels threatened? What do we all do? We block. We cover ourselves up. We withdraw. We get into a fetal position. We curl up. Physically, psychologically, emotionally. It's like almost protecting ourselves from the bullets. So anyone who's under attack is going to do that. That alone may not be a state of depression, but it's definitely a state of withdrawal. But it's not surprising that it would lead to that, to depression, because after a while, you can say it was an exception, a one-time thing. 
But when a person is continuously facing the barrage of critique or the barrage of other negative experiences, then after a while they start getting into a state of feeling, you know something, I don't deserve or I am uh, worthless or I am just um, don't feel confident that I will get my needs met. So any forms of invalidation, any forms of violation, any abuse is going to lead to that type of mood or state. Now, obviously, different people react to different things, and it's more complicated because you could have two people who both have endured some negative assaults on their psyche, and yet one is more resilient than the other. So clearly there may be genetic and other factors in play that give that person more of a fighting chance. So we're not going to negate that. And that's why sometimes, yes, you do need medication or you need other types of intervention that can balance that out. But, who, but regardless, however one reacts and without getting beyond the variations, the general idea of something like just like a flower that is not being watered is going to shrivel up a human being that's not being nurtured and nourished and sustained in a positive way with positive reinforcement and with positive environment around that person is going to also in some way shrivel up, which comes in, can manifest in the form, some form of depression. So now let's talk about the soul. I just mentioned the natural soul is not a depressed state. So clearly then, of course, one would then conclude that the more soulfulness, the more spirituality in a person's life, the less depression. Yet it's not that simple, because depression in its invisible tentacles can take the soul hostage. And all that's good about your soulfulness and your transcendence and your passions and desires of that healthy child to experience some things that are beyond and go to places that are the, the, the magic of life, experience the enchantment, that itself becomes numbed, becomes silenced due to the depression that one is going through. But the key thing to distinguish is not that the soul has become depressed, the soul is held hostage. It's a very different experience. When you're held hostage, you still maintain all your healthy qualities. So of course you can argue if someone's hostage for a long period of time in prison, they can develop a prison mentality, even a Stockholm syndrome, things like that. It's true. But still, even then, it's not that the soul has changed. It's the soul has now been taking control to the point where you're cooperating, as sad and tragic as it sounds. So essentially, what we're talking about here is even in the most depressed state, there is a soul that's intact. And that's why we say every morning, the soul you've given me is pure. It's intact and pure and innocent, just as when it was born. But it's now been hijacked. It's been held hostage. And its voice is not allowing itself to be expressed. And when it is expressed, the negative voices immediately silence it, drown it out. And that, of course, is a tremendous challenge because now, what happens now? It's like a catch-22. Where do you begin? We'll get to what to do about it. But remember, I, do, I structured this from the beginning of this class, this program, that first we talk about what is depression. Second, why do we get depressed? And third, what do we do about it? We can't talk about what to do about it until you know what it is as closely as possible. So to sum up so far what I've said is that depression is a state of soul withdrawal and the opposite is soul expansion and expression. Interestingly, a topic I talk about often is in the Kabbalistic model of existence, 
especially in the Rianic Kabbalah, there's the concept of the withdrawal of the tzimtzum. What is the tzimtzum? A withdrawal and a concealment of light. Where light was freely expansive, think of it like free-spiritedness, and it completely, it completely consumed all of reality, was a divine consciousness. And then in order to create space for another reality, the divine created a tzimtzum. Tzimtzum is, can be defined as withdrawal. It's usually defined as a concealment that looks like a withdrawal. It's not because it's really not withdrawn, it's concealed. But yet it does say silik in Hebrew means to, to, to withdraw, to move itself away. That's exactly, if you describe it in psychological terms, that cosmic symptom, think of it. You are fully expansive. Child is completely expansive. And then something, some force comes in and says, no, you cannot do whatever you like. You cannot just let your arms and legs just swing in the wind, swing in the, swing in the wind and just be a free spirit soaring. You need to now contract. So it's like almost a forced in position, which on a cosmic level translates psychologically is exactly what the feeling of depression is. You'd feel depressed, you feel withdrawn, you feel you can't express yourself, you can't expand. To the extent you don't necessarily even feel that's depressed, others will see it that way. You just are in a state where you're like not active or active in a very low, um, a low flame. So that all is a state of psychological depression. The extent, as I mentioned, can be one, from one extreme to the next, but it's essentially all under that guide, under that uh, rubric. But then as he continues the Arizal, the Lurianic theory of, the Lurianic doctrine of Tzimtzum says that after the Tzimtzum came a stream of light, stream of consciousness, of divine consciousness from pre-Tzimtzum, when everything was all, all expansive, what does that indicate? That indicates that even in this withdrawal state, you can draw in a ray of light, a ray of hope. That's going to be part of the intervention we're going to talk about. But for now, my main focus was the actual withdrawal part. Because we need to really, as much as possible, in probe, dissect that. Because the more you dissect it, the more you defang it the more you demystify it, and the easier it is then to deal with it. Obviously, when one is in the throes of it, it's in the, it, as I said before, it, can, it, it, strangles you and it strangles you in its tentacles, suffocates you. But there are times where we can step back and study or read about it or understand it, and that's what we're doing right now. So the more we get it, the more you can then deal with it. It's like know thy enemy, your inner enemy. In... Uh, in some places, in the Tanya, chapter 26, other places, it talks about the demoralization around a state of depression, where you don't feel the strength to fight. He gives the example of two wrestlers, and even if one may be stronger than the other, but if psychologically that one who's stronger doesn't feel strong, feels weak, you don't have the will to fight, you don't have the strength to fight, you don't have the motivation, so you end up being weak. Your own attitude is causing weakness, and you can't, you can't rise to the occasion. So all that is part of a state of withdrawal. However, the fascinating thing on the cosmic level is that the withdrawal of the Simpson was never meant to be a depression as an end in itself. It was meant to be a withdrawal in order to allow 
another reality to emerge. So the same thing in our situation. The problem is we see depression as an end in itself, and that's what consumes us, and that overwhelms us. But if you're able to see that it's like a form of a, yes, a contraction that leads to an expansion, an inhale that leads to an exhale, a concealment that leads to a greater revelation, it changes everything. So that's going to be some of the interventions we're going to talk about. But going back to the theme itself, that is what it is. The spiritual, the call is called the Kabbalah of depression. The spirituality of the depression is a state that is um, going, that is actually depressing its own spiritual energy. We talk about the black hole often. What's a black hole? It's a paradox. The power of the gravitational pull of the, of the star is so powerful, of the black hole, it doesn't let its own light escape. Imagine that. It's not a force outside of it that's doing it. It's its own gravitational pull. Essentially what I just said before, we become our own worst enemy. You yourself and your gravitational pull is not a, and, and depressed state doesn't let your own light to shine. What that means in spiritual terms, that the spirituality which is so adept and so naturally an expressive state as seen in young children before they're quieted or before they're somewhat uh, numbed or tamed is that you become your own worst enemy. You are becoming, you're blocking out your own ability to be that expressive. It's like a bird who wants to spread its wings and fly but something is causing the bird to not have the confidence to do so and then it just curls up and just doesn't want to leave its nest which is, of course, a great symptom of depression. So in that sense, depression and spirituality go hand in hand, literally. The question is whether the spirituality will win out or the depression will win out. But, spirit, but depression attacks our own very spirit. And that makes total sense. That's what we say. I'm depressed. My spirit feels depressed. So is it a spiritual or physical malady? For sure a spiritual one. But it's not the spiritual malady in the sense problem that the spirit is that the spirit is suffering is the spirit is being suffocated the spirit is being held hostage and therefore it is suffering in that sense because it's not being able to it doesn't it's not being allowed to do what it has to do it'd be like giving someone a job and not letting them use all their faculties and all their strengths and skills to do it and that's why depression is only in life doesn't happen in death. doesn't happen when you don't have this situation. To put it in different words, in a way, the battle that exists between materialism and spirituality, between survival and transcendence, it also is, can lead to a lot of depression because you can feel very much like a free spirit, want to transcend, want to experience high levels of transcendence, but then reality, as some people say, strikes. You, you hit the ground running trying to soar, and reality, your health, the expectations and demands of others, money issues, personal issues. And suddenly what's happening, all that enthusiastic energy is unable to express itself because the rest of life takes over. However, when we know that that's exactly the purpose of it all, is to have that, if you want to call it a battle, and to recognize that nothing can match the spirit is always alive and can always be accessed if we so choose. And we must know that we cannot be our own worst enemy because if you don't have that confidence, who is going to have it? No one else can do it but you. 
So yes, we have mentors and we have teachers and we have friends who can remind us, who can shake us up. But at the end of the day, there has to be inside of you some type of confidence. Someone who loses confidence, let's say a marathon runner, sprinter, in running a marathon, it doesn't matter how much their coach believes in them, others believe, if the person does not have at least a glimmer of hope or belief, they become their own worst enemy. So you need the coaches, you need the mentors, you need the objective people to encourage, to look at things from an objective perspective, to, give, to, be, to provide context. But at the end of the day, there has to be something that comes back that awakens that spirit inside the person. The spirit to fight, the spirit to feel confident, to feel, to feel hope. So when you see people who actually know how to fight a depressed state to whatever happens, you'll always see that they have that spark that's there with them. People can't understand how after the Holocaust, people went through literally murder, where's the murder? Entire families wiped out in the most inhumane way. The demoralization, you can't even, it's unimaginable. What they've saw, what they experienced, the families they've lost. And yet, like Viktor Frankl points out, man searches, man searches for meaning. And others have pointed out, there was something else going on, some, some pilot flame, some little crucible of hope remained eternal. Sometimes it felt like it was extinguished, but something was there. The need to build, the need to remember, the need to not let down those that were taken from us. Because we're here. As guilty as many felt, why did I survive and not my sister, not my brother, not my father or mother? There was this sense that we need to build, we need to do something and not let their memory go, be forgotten and their deaths be in vain. That's an example. I just see the same thing on a personal microcosmic level when people who hit rock bottom, which is due, due to different forms of abuse, whether it's drug abuse or alcohol abuse or other forms of, uh, of addictions, that rock bottom that gives them a wake-up call is, again, in the deepest symptom, in the deepest withdrawal, there's something there. Now, those of us that don't, can't find it immediately, that's why we need to keep looking. Let others help us. Let others in to help you find it. So bottom line is that the state of depression is a state of spiritual and soul withdrawal. And the way then, and the reason we get depressed is, can be many reasons why we get depressed. It can be external circumstances. It can be internal circumstances. External circumstances, things happen. And we let them take, we take them that seriously. We let them become more powerful than us. And it shapes our attitudes. Internal is when you feel inadequate, you feel weak, you feel sluggish, you feel uh, lack of self-esteem. So even though the outer circumstance may be still formidable, but once you lose hope, then it's an internal circumstance that does not let you get out of your own symptom, out of your own withdrawal state, withdrawal state. So then what, of course, is the intervention? In addition to all other traditional and therapy and other things that may be needed as professionals dictate, is to reignite the soul. You must reignite the soul because that is the place and the only place that has the true power to counter all the negativity, all the depression. So you'll say, well, it's a cash 22 it's a paradox, my soul is now being held hostage. 
That's why we're talking, sometimes you go from the back door, sometimes you start with a gimmick. It doesn't matter. You need to some way light the flame. If there's a lot of resistance in one area, light the flame in a different corner. Somewhere you have to ignite spirit. You have to ignite that spirit, that hope, that transcendence, that seeking for transcendence, that give, makes life worthwhile. So I always advise, instead of doing this in a way which becomes overwhelming and, and you realize you can't, you give up, you give up because you try and it doesn't work, is to start with something that you're passionate about, something you really enjoy. Just try to get involved in something you enjoy. It doesn't even have to be anything significant, but that you enjoy it. The more you can, the more you can commit to that, the more you can act on it, what you're doing is, besides the fact doing something that's pleasant, you're also igniting that soul that is being held hostage or in some ways undercover or withdrawn. It's like a child that you see is scared and frightening, frightened and trembling and hiding under a table or in a closet. And slowly you extend your arm. The adult extends her hand and says, please, come. The child is terrified. So you just you bring a little toy to the child, let the child play there. And slowly, not manipulatively, but slowly you draw the child sees a someone I can trust. Let me trust a little more. So, it's, so it behooves us to access that soul that may be undercover to what, some extent or another, and no matter who we are, even if there's no depression, it's always vital to keep that spark burning because that's the greatest preemptive medicine, preventive medicine and preemptive measure to all other challenges in life. So it's critical. It's critical to ignite that spark because that is the hope. That's the light that counters the withdrawn energy, the withdrawn light of the symptom or of the depression. And the list goes on of different examples one can give in how one achieves that. So let's talk a moment about joy. Joy. I've been asked many times, if you're not happy, how could you force yourself to become happy? You can force yourself to do actions, but to impose on yourself to be happy, happy is a feeling. So the first answer is happy is a, is a feeling, but it's also your natural state. As I mentioned with children, it's a natural state. Anyone that feels they belong, anyone that feels in the zone and feels a certain seamlessness, seamlessness with the time and space around them and the circumstances around them is naturally joyous. Joy doesn't mean necessarily making somersaults and dancing and celebrating in that way. Joy is an inner state of being, of contentment, of inner peace, calm, serenity, that's our natural state. If we don't have that, that means other factors are in some way impeding or not allowing that natural joy to express itself. So what would you tell me? Think of the formula. Let the natural joy emerge. And what do you think will happen? All other forces get weaker. I'm not suggesting they'll be eliminated. There may even be a battle. But there's at least a fighting chance. What's the fighting chance? Because you have now going for yourself not just the negative, the resigned, things can't happen, the depressed state, you have also now another voice that is emerging. But that, it's not just a philosophical exercise. You have to act on it. You have to find ways to express that inner joy. And that could be being involved with joyous people, bringing joy to others. Yes, celebrating with our children, little children, who are very joyous and happy. Experiencing it with them. To go back and withdraw to your natural so-called, not natural, but your habitual routines is the last thing you want to do, but that's what most of us do because that's the nature of the beast. 
we gravitate back to our habits and our routines. But here's the opportunity to not do so. Firstly, the time of the year that we're in, to mention it last week, the last Hebrew month, beginning into the high holidays, 60 days has begun our journey. And what do you think it's a journey? It's a journey of finding hope after loss, of reconciliation after betrayal, fixing, repairing after something was broken. So we have special energy. It's called the month of compassion, of love, of relationships. It's a month of rebuilding, a month of hope. But not just hope, fanciful hope, flight of fancy, but, but hope that comes in a very realistic way after things seemed hopeless. And that hope will spring eternal and will ultimately be the driving force. It's a tremendous healing experience when you feel that. Because it gives us who's going to win this battle. The one that's more dominant, the one that is more expressed. So expressing your soul is exactly the best way to counter the withdrawal of that soul. And how do you express? You take initiative. I mentioned some things before. You take initiative, you start a class, you reach out to someone. It could be a a friend, it could be an old friend, it could be someone you haven't spoken to in a long time, it could be a stranger. Initiate. Initiation is expansive. Waiting and being passive and reacting is withdrawal, relatively speaking. So part of the expansive approach, part of the expansion is reaching out, initiating. Proactive instead of reactive. Reactive is always going to feed the other side. doesn't mean it's always a bad thing to be reactive. But a lot of it is connected because you don't have that go-gung-ho, go-for-it attitude. Now, of course, there's a time for this, there's a time for that, as King Solomon says, the time to speak, the time to be silent. So that's part of the harmony, part of the rhythm, I should say, that creates a harmony. A rotse v'shuv, a yearning and returning, tension and resolution. But that already, each person has to gauge and, and develop in that, their own particular way. So the solution, my friends, is to engage in things that are expansive. You say, one second, that's the trap. I'm so depressed, I can't even do that. Okay, so here, if it's to that extent, yes, you may need a doctor. You may need real professionals. If it's to an extent, and even with that, in addition to that, you need motivation to do something you enjoyed or you enjoy, to see how you're influencing others and how you're actually having impact. Is this all a magic trick and you press a button? No, obviously not. But what you're doing is taking your soul in that direction. As you go in that direction, what happens, that expansiveness expands even more, and expansion counters contraction. That's the rule. Now you'll say, one second, if there's a need for expansion, there's also a need for contraction. Exactly right. You just don't want it to be that extreme, that the expansion is like spikes, and the depression goes so far down. You want to create more balance, it should look more like a cardiogram, with equal and balanced waves. That's the goal. So wherever you are, if you're a nervous person, or nervous wreck even, and you have so many things, so many reasons to feel really down, so there's hope. There's the kav, as I said. There's the glimmer of hope that you have to introduce that can pierce even the darkness of the withdrawal. And that kav, that line of light, that stream of consciousness, that stream of light, manifests in anything we do that fits the bill of an optimistic, hopeful, confident approach. 
Anyone, anyone, if you apply yourself, you can find that. A person who's so consumed with paranoia and fear and they can't control it would probably need to see a professional. But many of us can find something. And even with a professional, as I mentioned, it's, these exercises are helpful. Because what they do is they empower you to achieve anything you want to set your mind to. And I know some of you are going to say, this sounds very fantastical, it's beautiful on paper, it sounds great from you, but it's far, far easier said than done. Acknowledged. It is far easier said than done. But not to say it. And the way you say it makes it easier to get done as well, because at least you've opened the gate. You've opened up the channel, the sinner, as they say, the channel, to this type of thinking. So when you hear the expression, think good, it will be good, it's not just an expression. It's... Excuse me. It's attempting to align that inner joy that is already thinking good with our actions. To access that, to act on that inner sense of confidence that may be undercover or even held hostage. And then it will be, then it will be that way because it's expressed. So, the, so holding on to that actually is the best way. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because you're accessing the light within you that, and not letting it be withdrawn or blackened out like in a black hole or darkened, you're allowing it out. So what you're doing is essentially accessing your own best self and letting that best self become your expressive self. Nothing more gratifying than that. And every person at their own pace. And always helpful to talk to someone about it, see how you're doing, get some objective input, even if it's somewhat a little critique. But all this is part of the pace. And in this month where we travel from darkness to light and to hope and to confidence and to rebuilding, what a pro- perfect time. Time is energy. So this time provides us with that energy and strength. So, the withdrawal of spirit and the expansion of spirit. In addition to other traditional methods, professional methods, and all this should always be done with a consultation with professionals, because everything I've said, even if it works, you still want to make sure it's being done right. It's not being done in a, in a, a, a desperate way, in a way that's going to lead up to failure because you're just hoping for a panacea. It has to be done with balance. That's the point. And balanced people can help suggest different ways. But I've seen it with my own eyes. People get involved with pro- project activities a little more than they've done before. It doesn't have to be a jump, a leap of faith to a... a, a a, a um, cold turkey, and they slowly achieve. Ma'at, ma'at. Slowly, slowly, step by step. Slowly they begin to counter the f- negative forces that so consumes our life. How, many, how much energy goes into fear, to negativity? And if only, if only that person did that. All that negative stuff, how much goes into it? A lot. A lot more than we'd like to admit. The time has come to take much of that time and energy and apply it to the positive and say, here's what I'm capable of doing. And you'll see for yourself, once you take that energy, the other, the energy going to the weaker side gets weaker because it doesn't have, everything needs its fuel. And meanwhile, that energy is being invested in something that's productive and growthful and so on. All of us can achieve this. Obviously, this is a topic that's hard to exhaust in a 40-45 minute conversation, discussion. But nevertheless, I think I touched upon the main pointers. 
And I will probably follow up at some point on this topic. But the key thing is to remember, is to remember that no matter what is going on inside of you, what you feel about yourself, there's always more than you think. And there's always better than you think. And there's more hope than you think. And there's more light than you'll know. So how do you hold on to that? You sometimes have to just accept that there are those that came before you that saw things and they taught it that way. Even if you're not in the accepting mode, so then there's a study, the study of it, as you study it and you start seeing its wisdom, you're seeing its uncanny understanding of the human condition. You say, how do they know that? And how do we know what they know? And that's when you begin to really engage with um, Torah in the real full sense of the word. You know, many people, when they hear certain questions, they say, ah, that's a question cannot be answered. This goes in the category that you don't think about these things. Every question can be answered. For every question, there's an answer. For every answer, there's another question, yes. But it's a growth ladder. You're constantly growing. Just like when you go higher, you see the horizon. Then you go even higher, you see that that wasn't even the real full horizon. Now I see a full And that's an endless journey. Endless, literally. So we need to know it, and we need to convey it to others. And the more we accept that, how beyond it is, the more it becomes part of us. That's the paradox. The more you become to relate, because you're honest, you're accepting that which is the beyond, the transcendent, and then that becomes more accessible. That's the irony. But it takes time, and it takes years. But that's the formula. So here we go, we've covered... A, a very a critical theme. By no means will I say this is complete and exhaustive, and, but I think it's touched a lot of key critical points. So if we all apply ourselves, even on small steps, and always take small steps, that's the key. Not the cramming and not just fitting it all into one big seminar. Small steps. And then there'll be times for more intense things. You can really achieve tremendous strides beyond our wildest imagination. So this has been Simon Jacobson, Meaningful Life Center, www.meaningfullife.com. You can write to us there with your questions, with your comments, with your rebuttals, with suggestions. Please share it with others on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, and, and other platforms. And we're here every Wednesday, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. we dependent on your questions and your comments because that's how it works. It's an interactive experience. So don't hesitate. Please share. Please support. Please be part of this community, which is beyond community, beyond walls. Everyone should be blessed with a very um, confident week, an optimistic week, an upbeat one, full of expansive energy. So much energy waiting to be released. That's sometimes how sad it is, but you don't see that happening. And all of us, it's never too late. Everybody in whatever stage they're at, never give up, because that is giving up on yourself, which is giving up on God, who put you here. So everyone be blessed. Thank you so much. And again, MeaningfulLife.com. You can write to us and comment. And please interact. Thank you.